0: Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to
1: a Monday edition of the Final Drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Bounty, along with Nick Wiggins. Hope everyone's had a great long Labor Day weekend. Again, football got started Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and of course tonight we conclude with Clemson and Duke wrapping up our college football weekend and boy oh boy, what a great weekend it has been and of course we'd love for you to correspond with us here on WNSP 105.5 you can download the Sound of Mobile app to any Apple or Android device that you may have so you can log in and correspond with us of course if you love to call us the old fashioned way we love to get your thoughts on what you saw in college football this weekend, 251-694-1055, 251-694-1055 is how you can reach us. And we've been talking Alabama quarterback. We've been talking depth chart with Alabama. We've been talking Auburn and Hugh Freeze and the Freeze effect being in full effect as far as Auburn is concerned. And Nick, week number two for Alabama is what everybody has had circled on the college football calendar. And, of course, at WNSP, we have that circled for more than one reason as well.
2: That's right. Alabama-Texas, it's the biggest game of the week, maybe one of the most important games of the year. But, look, you guys need to all come out and join us this Saturday at the Outsider in downtown Mobile for the ultimate Alabama watch party. You can win a free WNSP t-shirt, we're going to be doing a drawing where you can win an Alabama football jersey courtesy of the vault. Look, they got 22 TVs for us to watch all these games on. You have a chance to be entered into the Outsiders Iron Bowl giveaway. There's beer specials. There's food from the inside of that food court right next door. It, it's, it, there's going to be a post-game party. You are not going to want to miss that. So, look, if you want to come watch the Alabama-Texas game, and when Alabama gets up, you want to rub it in my face, I'll be right there waiting for it. Well, Alabama
1: was able to rub a W all in Middle Tennessee State's face on Saturday, and it was done with QB1 being Jalen Milrow. 13 out of 18, 194 yards, three touchdowns, seven rushes, 48 yards, two additional touchdowns, the long being of that 25 yard variety earlier in the contest, but All spring, all summer long, really since Bryce Young leaves this Alabama Crimson Tide roster after the New Year's game against Kansas State. People wanted to know who was going to take the bull by its horns. And I thought that Jalen Milrow stood in the pocket, showed a lot of patience, showed a lot of poise. I was glad Coach Nick Saban decided to go ahead and let him play the entire first half yep. instead of just two or three series. Very important. Scott Hunter mentioned it on the Tide and Tiger report from last Tuesday that as a quarterback, you want to give him a chance to get into a rhythm. You want to give him a chance to get established. Well, he was – a able to do that against middle Tennessee and we know how fast Jalen Milrow is we know how fast he can run but we wanted to see the accuracy and him throwing those three touchdowns was key for Alabama to get out and be explosive and for the defense to step up to the plate also
2: look a lot of people you know they they thought that it was going to be a little bit of a mixed bag at the quarterback position but I don't know if Jalen Milrow played so well that Nick Saban was, like you said, forced to play him. Or if that was the plan going in, like, hey, Milrow, it's going to be you, so let's really get your feet wet. Because we got a big game coming up next week at Texas. But Jalen Milrow, man, he looked like a little Lamar Jackson Jr. out there. Went that that bad snap, and he picked it up. That was something only that quarterback would able, be able to do. With any of your other Alabama quarterbacks, Buckner or Simpson, you're lo- having an eight-yard loss right there. Jalen Milroe was a- able to pull something out of his ass and turn it into a touchdown. So, I mean, look, Alabama, they looked good, man. They looked good. The defense looked really good. They looked like they were playing really physical, like Alabama wanted them to. And but, you know, the, the big story was about the quarterbacks, and we do have a bona fide number one guy, and it is Jalen Milrow from here until the future, I think. Let's look at bigger
1: picture for the Crimson Tide, something that we've talked about all season long. Only two penalties for 19 yards for Alabama, two for 19, and no turnovers as well being able to go plus two. On that edge of the football. That's very important for Alabama this season moving forward. And when you watch Texas and Rice this past Saturday, and trying to compare the two teams to see what Alabama was going to be going up with, a formidable foe. Sometimes you get caught looking ahead, but Alabama really dismantled Middle Tennessee the way that you expected them to. Texas had some struggles and sputtered against Rice, and I think that on third down, Alabama being 10 out of 13, the effectiveness and the efficiency there starts with your quarterback, and – overall with many and multiple quarterbacks being played that's something that you wanted to see for the crimson tide as well whether it was buckner or simpson you wanted both of them to play hard now as far as the offensive line is concerned you you look at 205 rushing yards total for alabama milro led the tide in rushing which is something that you don't want to see throughout the entire season. You want to see a Jace McClellan or a Roydale Williams or a Justice Hayes go ahead and have that opportunity to kick it in gear and get this Crimson Tide up to a notch to where the balance is
2: exactly where you want it to be. I feel like Jalen Milrow more often than not might lead Alabama in rushing just because he's able to He's gonna have the ball so much, they're gonna run design runs for him and he's going to scramble out of a passing uh, I mean look they let Don't want th- that to be the case, Nick. I don't know, they definitely be the case. don't but if it is, though, and you're winning, if it's broke, don't fix it, right? Even if you're losing, you do not want – you have four stable backs. That means you
1: haven't been able to bust the big one. You haven't had the explosive play with your running backs. That means you haven't been able to hit the hole. And throughout this entire grind of a season, whether you had Jalen Hurts or whether you had Blake Sims, you didn't want them to lead the SEC or your team in rushing either. Did they have the ability to if a play broke down? Yep. Absolutely they have that capability. But you don't want to see them leading them because McClellan is capable. Behind this big O-line that everyone has said is probably one of the nastiest that Alabama has had in quite some time. You want to see success running the football with your running backs. That's why even though you're a dual threat quarterback and labeled as a dual threat quarterback, you still don't want to have to lean on those legs. You don't want to sure. because you're asking them to turn back right Around and pass protection is what the running back has to do if the quarterback's supposed to be throwing the football. So you don't want to have to wear your quarterback out by having him rush just because a play broke down, broke down. But I thought the Alabama receivers, Isaiah Bond did a good job. Jermaine Burton Wonderful job coming back to the football. And you just saw some great explosiveness some from deep the Crimson balls, Tide man, receivers deep on the uh, money. Yeah, no and doubt. that's what you really wanted to see out of his presence, having that pocket presence for the Alabama Crimson Tide, ultimately winning 56 to 7. Now, as far as Nick Saban is concerned in listening to his postgame press conference, on Saturday, I thought that you got prime Nick Saban, and Nick Saban at his best when you ask him the wrong question, especially after a game. I
0: think tonight's you know, positive performance will help moving forward to next week and beyond. And who is that? Jalen Milrow. Jalen Milrow, positive performance, how will that help him build? So you're asking me to speculate? And I ask, I answer a hypothetical question about how some guy's going to perform in the future. I don't really know. I mean, I love him. I think he's doing well. I know he's working hard to try to improve. He's a good competitor. He'll do everything he can to play his best. But I don't, I don't have, this is a Coke bottle. It's not a crystal ball. How do you think of play? Do you, know, do you have any idea? Uh, hard to know. It's what we all strive for, though. I mean, we want everybody to play well, and we're going to try to prepare them the best way we can. But that's why you play the games. This is a Coke
2: bottle, it, not a crystal it, ball. Is that an example of Saban bullying the media? I know that was one of the storylines. Is that is that an example of that? I wouldn't say bullying it. He answered the question. Yeah, He answered the question. He, he, look
1: you can't even see through a coke bottle so i don't i don't think that that was bullying necessarily do i think it was smart aleck answer absolutely yeah. it was a smart aleck answer do i think that it was classic and prime nick Saban in in a front of a podium absolutely i do but there was zero lies detected yeah. that he told Because I do think that Jalen Milro going into this Texas game will continue to remain the Tide's starting quarterback. But I can tell you this, Coach Sark has a lot to look at on film. And you already know the threats and the dual athleticism that Milro presents for the Crimson Tide. But Texas, they have a tremendously stout defensive line. Mm -hmm. And because of that, Alabama is going to have to establish the running game. If they're not able to establish the running game against Texas, there is no Bryce Young to break it down. Because you put a spy on Milrow and the type of speed that Texas has, Middle Tennessee doesn't have that type of speed. But Nick Saban being very open and candor
2: with the media as far as a crystal ball and Coke is concerned. I mean, McClellan... He only had 10 carries for 39 yards, not very good. I mean, look, did they win 56-7? to Yes, but you got to take what you can. And like you were saying, the running game didn't really get established that well by the running backs. You didn't have one of their backs go for 80 yards or for over 7 yards a carry. And now Texas, they're allowing the Rice running back to average less than 3 yards a carry. And they didn't really have a running back get going either. Everyone right there around that 10, you know, for 50 yards, 10 for 40 yards. So I don't know what that says about both teams. Maybe both of the teams just wasn't really able to establish that running game with their backs. But And that's one positive of having Milrow is that you can lean on if all else fails, you know that he can run and create a play out of nothing like he did uh, last week. Now, wh- do you think that we're going to see any other quarterback – other than Jalen Milrow, touch the field against Texas? Are you asking me to look into my Coke bottle? Yeah, look my Coke into bottle? Your, Shake up your Coke bottle. Don't open it, though, because it'll spew everywhere and make a mess, and I don't want to clean it up. But do you think, is it Milrow for all 60 minutes next week, or is there going to be an opportunity where they mix it in, or is there the chance that Milrow doesn't play well and, and Sabin makes the sub? It's not a matter of Miro not playing well. Miro
1: will get the start. He'll have an opportunity, but the offense cannot sputter. You have to go ahead. You can't settle for field goals. You have to have touchdowns against this Texas team because this Texas team, when you look at overall what they were able to do against Rice, and even though it is Rice, Rice with only 27 total rushing yards, and that's not going to do it. If you're the Alabama Crimson Tide, whether it's busted plays or not. As far as do I think he can play the entire game, if Alabama plays well offensively, if they're selling for and they're getting first downs and they're able to move and sustain some type of offense and they're able to to get points on the board, yeah, he can play the entire game. But if Alabama is struggling I don't think by the third series that Nick Saban would hesitate to go ahead and make a change and make a spark and then go back at halftime and reevaluate what the offense is going to do.
2: I mean, I'll say this. On Saturday, I think Alabama looked better than Texas. Now, I don't necessarily know the differential of opponent and their level of play. I know that Rice was in a bowl game last year. I'm pretty sure they actually played down here in Mobile. They did. But Alabama looked more explosive than Texas, but like you said, Sarkeesian's got some tape on Mill Road now. Right? You can't you can't pull that Arizona Cardinals. We're not naming a quarterback that gives us an advantage. We know who it is. We know who you're rocking with. And so we'll see what um what Texas can do to potentially get ready to face his old mentor and alabama and look that's game of the week potentially game of the year and i'm excited but hey auburn they played a game and they looked really good too right they did but i'm gonna go back and harp on alabama for one moment you take away that 80
1: plus yard run last year by jace McClellan versus texas alabama does not even have close to 75 rushing yards versus texas so that's something that has to change when they play the longhorns but oh yeah there was a freeze warning in auburn on a hot day that started early for the eagles flying high against the minutemen of umass we'll break that down and see where we want to go for auburn going across country next here on the final drive
3: Hi, this is Monty
0: Burke, author
3: of Saban, The Making of a Coach. You're listening to WNSP Sports Radio 105.5 FM.
2: Welcome back to the final drive. And look, you want to talk about establishing a run game. One SEC Tiger team was able to do that over the weekend. And not even just with their running backs, But look, we've heard a lot from a lot of our Auburn people that, and from Hugh Freeze himself, there's going to be places where Robbie Ashford, the second string quarterback for Auburn, is going to get touches. And it looks like to me, I don't know if this was just against UMass, but they might be running a legitimate two quarterback system with Robbie Ashford working a lot in that red zone. It's going to look great if you're
1: Hugh Freeze because what it does, it gives your opponents so much to prepare for as they get ready to go out to the West Coast and play Cal this week in the latest start ever in the history of Auburn Tigers football. Auburn defeats UMass 59-14 to in front of a record-breaking crowd at Jordan-Hare Stadium, 88,043. So if you're going to bring in the Hugh Freeze era, What better way to do it than in record-setting fashion from an attendance standpoint? And Peyton Thorne, very effective, 10 out of 17, 141 yards and one touchdown. Robbie Ashford, nine rushes, 51 yards, and three touchdowns. Able to throw up the triple numbers there as he scored that third touchdown to let everyone know in goal line, packages he's going to be something that you really look out for i mean nine rushes for 51 yards didn't lead auburn in rushing sean jackson had that privilege as he had five carries for 64 yards and a touchdown but the dimensions that robbie ashford can bring you only two out of six for three yards but that's two totally different packages right that auburn And Hugh Freeze is able to bring to the table. And as Mike Gittin said on the war report, Auburn's going to need Robbie Ashford. So when Robbie Ashford was not named the starter and possibly thought about quitting or transferring, no need for him to do that because you, you get a chance to score three touchdowns in front of your home crowd at Jordan Harris Stadium. You don't think the Cal Bears are worried about Robbie Ashford And I don't even think we really got a chance to see Peyton Thorne because Jarquez Hunter, he didn't play. We found that out breaking news on our show on Thursday evening that he was not going to play and still no answer as to whether he'll take the West Coast trip was on the sidelines dressed in sweats and a jersey. But you add that to Auburn's rushing game and now you have possibly four or five
2: backs for Auburn, one of them happened to be a quarterback to get things going. And look, we talk about Alabama and even Texas. All their running backs averaging less than five yards a carry here. You got multiple running backs averaging over eight yards a carry for Auburn. And now look, Auburn's big question mark last year was their running defense. I think they finished between like 70 and 90 in the country. And, you know, K-Ron Adams, the running back for UMass, 14 carries, 101 yards. So that could potentially still be an issue, right? Yes, they did win 59-14, to 14, but UMass is one of the worst college football programs in the nation. So you imagine Auburn faces a legitimate running attack. That could potentially be issues in the future. But look, right now it's all smiles down there in Auburn. they got to be happy with that uh, game, with how their team looked, and how efficient they looked. But that, that would be maybe my one worry um, if you had to take away maybe a, a slight negative out of that game. What
1: you wanted to see out of Auburn was an improved offensive line, and Auburn's Gunnar Britton named the SEC's offensive lineman of the week, and and that's a great way to earn it. And I, I I know that Auburn's concern going into this season was how they were going to protect whoever the quarterback was going to be. Well, anytime in week number one, in the Southeastern Conference, and you are named SEC Lineman of the Week, that's earning it the hard way. That's making it show that, yeah, we, we were able to have some pass protection. We were able not only to have some great pass pro, we were able to open up some holes and get th- some things done. But congratulations to him as far as having the ability to be the SEC Offensive Lineman of
2: the week for the Auburn Tigers. Yeah, man. Good for him. Well-deserved. They definitely had the best rushing attack out of most, uh, you know, the SEC teams that played. Um, But, yeah, I mean, look, Auburn, you got to be happy. Alabama, you have got to be happy. So if you are a college football fan here in this state, at least for this week, you're in a good mood. But what you're not in a good
1: mood for is if if you're Hugh Freeze, did your defense – line up the way they needed to and you look at what UMass was able to do statistically from a rushing standpoint having 140 yards rushing and at times early in the contest you're like okay Auburn's not going to run away with this this game it's going to be a little bit closer than what a lot of people thought it was going to be and and a lot closer than a lot of people would like when it was 10 to seven there for a moment. And then Auburn all of a sudden just throttled it up. We went from being to 10 to seven. The next thing you know, it's 31 to seven and that's because Auburn, all it took was one explosive play and a turnover, and they come out of the locker room, and they continue to rev things up because it goes from 31-7 to now you're looking at it being 52-7. So it was just a matter of Auburn settling down and, and getting their nerves to where it needed to be, the excitement of playing in front of a historic crowd Great job by Hugh Freeze and his staff. Can it be better? Will it be better? Absolutely it's going to be better. Long road trip to prepare for Cal.
2: That's right, man. And look, uh, So, you know, you mentioned it being 10-7, maybe a little too close for comfort, or at least closer than maybe Auburn fans would want. Robbie Ashford scored those three straight touchdowns in that second quarter to really bust the game open to make it 31-7
1: comfortable win for the Auburn Tigers 59 14 over the UMass Minutemen covering the spread there for certain and Alabama with the dominant 56 7 win over Middle Tennessee State we'll talk to our next guest Tony Sakalis, Tide Illustrated coming up next here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5
4: My name is Sherman Williams, former running back for the University of Alabama and the Dallas Cowboys. And I wake up each morning
1: listening to WNSP 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Hope everyone is having a great Labor Day long weekend as it ends today and get back on the grind tomorrow. But the Crimson Tide, They were grinding it out at Bryant-Denny Stadium this weekend against Middle Tennessee State. And someone who's always grinding it out, whether it's Labor Day, whether it's Memorial Day, no holidays off when you're covering the Crimson Tide. Tony Sakalis, managing editor for Tide Illustrated, joining us this afternoon. How's everything going, Tony? Hey, it's going well. How about yourself? Man, absolutely too blessed to be stressed. It doesn't get any better coming off of a – thursday friday saturday sunday and today a five-day football weekend for labor day coming up as the crimson tide were able to answer the question not only who was going to be qb1 who is qb1 and a record-setting performance by one jalen Milro against middle tennessee state yeah
5: i mean i don't think nick saban's announced it but i'm not sure at this point he's gonna have to if uh Jalen Murrow continues to, to play like he did in week one. I mean, that was that was something he, you know, not only showed us what he can do with that miraculous fumble run, um, you know, the the bad snap where he recovered it for a touchdown. He also was really good through the air. All three of his touchdowns came on long passes. Um, you know, last season he didn't complete a single pass of more than twenty yards in the air and he, he had three touchdowns from twenty yards in the air. So, um He's definitely looks like a, a a new man behind center for Alabama.
1: SEC offensive player of the week for his three touchdown throwing performance as well as the two rushing touchdowns and we know about Jalen Miro's scrambling ability and his ability to break down defenders when he gets past the line of scrimmage and the tremendous speed he has but the poise and the presence that he showed in the pocket throwing absolutely three laser strikes for touchdowns that's a great sign for a very stout defensive line that's coming in for Texas.
5: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that, you know, this is the real test, Corey. You know, you could could do whatever, you know, against Middle Tennessee State, but I think, you know, he'll definitely be judged, you know, against this Texas team. And I think, you know, I honestly think if he's able to do anything like he did uh, in week one against Texas and they come out with a win, I think you might even see Nick Saban come out and name him the starting quarterback if he even needs to at that point. But, um it is a whole new ball game with this Texas defense, um, and it's going to be—it's going to be a lot tougher of a test.
2: Were you surprised by how much play Jalen Milrow got instead of the other quarterbacks? When a lot of people, I think, thought going in it would kind of be more like an open tryout for everybody.
5: Yeah, I well, I had received a tip Friday night that had kind of updated me on the quarterback situation, and we reported it. Uh, and at that point, I kind of knew it was going to be Jalen's show. But, yeah, you know, coming into the week, I definitely thought it was going to be more quarterbacks on display. And I get that three of them played. But, you know, I think heading into that game, Jalen Miller was farther apart in the quarterback competition than maybe I had even known. Um, And so I think he's kind of really separated himself. And that game only further separated him, in my opinion. So uh, I guess I'm not super surprised. You know, during the game, I wasn't. But, you know, if you would have told me that it would have played out like this at the beginning of last week, I I would have probably been uh, pretty shocked.
1: Tony Sakalis, managing editor for Tide Illustrated, joining us this afternoon on the final drive. Now, I will say this, Tony, as far as the rushing game is concerned and the hype that has been put behind this mammoth offensive line for alabama one year ago you take away one big run by the alabama crimson ties jace mcclellan and alabama doesn't have anyone who rushes for over 35 yards against this same basically texas front that they're going to be seeing that's coming to Bryant denny on saturday
5: yeah definitely i mean i think and you look at it the the running game didn't necessarily totally get you know crazy going against Little Tennessee, but I will say that Alabama, the the important thing that they showed was they were able to pick up third downs and third and short, and uh, I did a whole story about that uh, on the site today, and really when you look at Alabama, they were uh, five for five on third and ones, and and that's the biggest thing that when you talked about this team and really stamping its rushing identity, it was never that they were just going to go totally ground and pound. It was going to be that they were going to be able to pick up those kind of plays and it's really encouraging to see them do that and like i said with you know Jalen jaylen it'll be a different ball game against texas but i think it's encouraging to see them convert on those those short third downs where you know they're going to run the ball Uh, i think that says a lot about those offensive line and the push you can
2: create what do you think nick saban is going to have his offense and his defense on working on the most this week leading up to that big game against texas
5: I think really just staying disciplined. I mean, look, you saw Alabama like only only have two turnovers. Oh, sorry, only have two penalties uh and they also won the turnover battle. I think if you could do those two things against Texas, you have a pretty good chance. So, just staying disciplined. Uh, Nick Saban, you know, Alabama won the turnover battle, but he's still you know, we're hearing him today, he kind of stressed about, you know, how Alabama could uh, could have gotten more turnovers, and there were times where maybe they could have taken care of the ball a little bit better, uh, even though they didn't turn it over. So, um, I think those two things are really what he stresses. I and mean, you could almost go to any big game, and and you know, if, if you handle those two things, you're you're in pretty good shape. So, it might be the kind of easy answer there, but I think that those two things will be definitely
3: what he stresses this week.
1: Plus two on the turnover side of the football was critical for Alabama. And it was a point of emphasis in the penalties that were lacking. That was a point of emphasis in the offseason. Now, third down efficiency one year ago for Texas, only three out of 12. And when you have numbers like three out of 12, you would think that it would result in more than a one-point win for the Alabama Crimson Tide. But a year ago, Alabama penalized 15 times for 100 yards versus Texas. And I know that you you don't have to, whether you like Coke, Diet Coke, Coke Zero, you don't have to rub (laughs) any type of crystal ball to know that if Alabama's penalized like that, Tony, they won't win versus Texas.
5: Oh, no. They needed Bryce Young to have like a miraculous drive where he just really, you know, took everything over. Um, You can't expect that. You know, as good as Jalen Miller was, you can't expect that from anyone. That was a, that was a, you know, they really shouldn't have gotten out of Austin uh, with, with a win last year. You can't play with fire as much as they did in terms of penalties and, and just bonehead errors. Uh, so yeah, that's definitely if if they do the same thing that they did in Austin, they'll come away with a loss. It, you know, even if Jalen Milrow plays well, otherwise it, it won't matter. They, they got to be smart. This is a good Texas team probably be a top ten matchup when the rankings get re-ranked. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think that. Like you said, discipline just is is so key. Both, you know, both in jumping off sides or, you know, unnecessary roughnesses, but also, you know, in terms of making the right throws, holding on to the ball, not getting careless with assignments. I mean, just the little things that Nick Saban's been stressing, I think, are going to be really vital, especially with this being the first big matchup of the year.
1: Alabama getting up early against Middle Tennessee, 28-0 at the half. It really could have been 28-3, but Alabama's defense rises up to the occasion, and Middle Tennessee does miss that field goal. The kind of confidence that you can get coming into the second half of a game, leading 28-0, and the consistency of Alabama to score 14 points in each of the four quarters, that's great balance offensively for all that touched the field for the Crimson Tide.
5: Yeah, and I think especially, you know, you mentioned the 14 points uh each time each quarter and that's that's encouraging, but I think the defense really never let up even when the the the, the first unit left. I think that, you know, a lot of times you see um when that happens, you'll have a little bit of a let off, the other team will score a few, you know, or maybe get some yardage that wasn't, you know, indicative of what the game was. And I don't think you saw that. I think Alabama like, maintained its standard pretty well against Middle
1: Tennessee State no surprise about Caleb Downs coming in and being recognized as well by the Southeastern Conference because he's lived up to the hype and sometimes that's hard to do as a true freshman leading Alabama in tackling great first showing for him having a tackle for loss but our own mobiles Deontay Lawson we knew that he was going to be the alpha dog on this defense and he didn't disappoint either
5: Boy, was Deontay Lawson just everywhere. I mean, he's, you know, that's exactly what Alabama needs him to be. Somebody that can go sideline to sideline, handle the running game, uh, provide a, a threat in the pass rush every now and then, but just really just be a sure tackler and, and use his athleticism to get across the field. Um, and he he definitely did that. Uh, he's going to be a special player. You know, a lot of people talk about Dallas Turner and Kool-Aid McKinstry, but Deontay Lawson's right there with him, and, and he's, uh, he's going to be a big part of this defense.
1: Any other surprises for you for the Alabama Crimson Tide coming into this Middle Tennessee game after it's all said and done? Because many of us had more questions than answers. We knew about the quarterback depth chart not being revealed. We didn't know how long quarterbacks were going to play defensively. We wanted to see what they were going to do in the secondary and see the way the offensive line was going to take over. But actually being there and getting that first-time vibe and listening to what Coach Saban had to say today – about Texas, any surprises going into this Texas week?
5: You know, not really. I think you know, uh, other than you know, like the the stuff with you know, Milro surpassing. I think everyone's expectations as a passer. You kind of knew that the the game plan with Alabama had was going to be kind of vanilla. I, I expect it to be a little bit different about you know for Texas. Like maybe they unveil a few things that you know uh, on both sides of the ball that they've been kind of hiding uh, in order to you know kind of unveil at the right moment here um, but you know if you think from the first you know for, from the first week i, I think that it, everything kind of went the way that it should have went for alabama so i think that's a positive sign um you know the surprise is not always a it's usually a bad thing when, you, when you're talking about alabama because most people expect them to be good so uh i i think that there's not a lot of negative to go for with alabama and um i do think we'll see some new wrinkles uh, but i i think this is a pretty good look of what the team's going to be like and i think it's, it it's going to be a solid team it you know i guess we'll see a lot more of it against the real you know challenging opposition this
1: week tony we're going to ask you to put down the coke bottle and look through your crystal ball and and to see if the crimson tide are going to come away with what is going to be probably one of the loudest venues and loudest atmospheres ever in the history of Bryant-Denny Stadium, and will the Tide come away with a W?
5: I think they will, especially if they play like they did in Week 1. Uh, you know, I, I think that um, it's going to come down to quarterback play again, and it's going to come down to the secondary. You know, um, Alabama had a lot of trouble stopping Quinn. It, it was, you know, early against Texas. Now, I think part of that may be I don't know how ready that team was heading into that game. Just mentally, it seems like with all the mistakes they made and the poor starts they got off to, maybe they just weren't there mentally. But they won't have—you know—that that won't matter if they do the same thing uh, on Saturday. But I do expect Alabama to be geared up and ready for this one. The crowd's going to be electric. Uh, I think that's going to give them a little bit more energy. And you know, you got to look at the—you know. Look at Jalen Miller. I mean, this is going to be a huge game for him. You know, his first start was against Texas A&M, and now he's going to get to play Texas, That's so school that he was committed uh, to in his recruitment. Um, it's going to be a, a big one for him, and, uh, you know, I'm excited to see how he responds to it.
1: Agreed. And if he can play anything like his idol, Vince Young, he will have an opportunity to continue to propel the Crimson Tide to even more national prominence on the national stage. Tony, as we enter week two, Alabama versus Texas. Texas, we're looking to hook them horns and down the longhorns. How can people follow your throughout the week coverage, even up to kickoff, throughout kickoff, and post-game coverage as well for everything Alabama?
5: Yeah, the site's Tide or You can go to alabama.rivals.com. You can follow us at TideIllustrated on Twitter, or you can follow me at Tony on Twitter as well.
1: Tony Sakalis, thank you so much. We look forward to talking to you next week to see if the Crimson Tide can stay atop of the polls. Awesome. Talk to you then. Nick, great action on Saturday for Alabama. Great action on Saturday for Auburn. But coming up, we'll talk about the debut and the biggest shocker of the week so far in college football just so happens to be one Deion Sanders. Deion says he keeps receipts. We'll see what those receipts say. Coming back here on the other side of the final drive on WNSP 105.5 Hi, I'm former Major League baseball player Bernie Carbo. I listen to WNSP 105.5 Love every minute of it.
2: The final drive, and man, Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, the Prime Effect. They were three touchdown underdogs going into this game, but Dion said it don't matter, it don't matter. He had his guys hyped up before the game, man. He had them hyped up before the game. Let's let's hear what Dion had to say to his team before they started and then Corey and I will
0: break it all down for you. Usually God give me a word long before this, but he's been holding it. Because it's not about them, this is about us. This has nothing to do with the team that's opposing us. This is about us. This ain't got nothing to do with the naysayers, the, the unbelievers, the haters, the doubters. This is about us. When we started this journey, we told you it was going to be trying. It was going to be tough. But you endure it because it's about us. That man next to you is a miracle. That man next to you is a believer. That man next to you is a go getter. That man next to you is a dog. That man next to you is somebody who wants this thing. That man next to you is somebody who believes. That man next to you is somebody that gots to have it today. Sir. 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 We ain't got tomorrow. We got now. We ain't got next. We got now. We, got now. we ain't coming no more. We here! We here! We here! We here! we here? Give me my theme music!
2: I like that. Play that theme music for him. Play that theme music, Corey. Deion Sanders deserves, after only coaching one game in the FBS, he deserves to be the highest paid coach in college football. And if you're looking at the Heisman Trophy watch list in a microcosm, if you're only taking into account what happened this season in week one, he would have the top two leading candidates for the Heisman Shadur Sanders, and Travis Hunter.
1: Nick, Nick, <laughs> Nick. Did you just say that Deion Sanders should be the most highest paid yes. college football coach? By far. Based on what,
2: my brother? Absolutely no. hell to the no. Look at, they just beat TCU, the team that was in the Great. national championship last year. get a cupcake. Year. Nah, they were three touchdown underdogs. Did you bet on this them? This team. Won. Did you bet on them? This team. No, I did not. Do you this believe? Te- I do believe. This team. <laughs> I don't. This team won one game last year. In today's age of college football, it's not just X's and O's. It's about building a culture and building a winning program and establishing an identity. Deion Sanders did that in three months, man, and he came out and he proved it. Look at his son, Shadur, 510 yards, four touchdowns. Travis Hunter, 11 catches, 119 yards, and a pick in the end zone. You you can't write a movie script as good as what we saw on Saturday.
1: Listen. Listen, people. (laughs) Listen, Nick Wiggins. It's only one W for the Buffaloes. Only one they didn't win the college football semifinal. Might they well didn't have. win the Pac-12. They didn't win a conference championship. They won a game. They Congratulations, Colorado Deion Sanders. You matched your win total from a year ago. Deion Sanders has transformed Colorado football. Cannot take that away from him. Did I believe that Deion would beat TCU? Absolutely not. Do I think that they'll beat Nebraska? I think that they'll have an opportunity to be 2-0. But as far as him saying that he keeps receipts, he knows who's been talking bad about him nationally. I just don't. Think that Deion Sanders is or should be come close to being the high.
2: Colorado couldn't even pay him. Colorado still hasn't found a way to pay his contract. They need to go take out a loan and they need to pay him more. No (laughs) other man or woman on God's green earth could go to Colorado at the beginning of the summer and then come out like this in week one other than Deion Sanders. Not no Nick Saban, not no Kirby Smart, only Dion, people.
1: It's one victory for Deion Sanders. Can he double the win total against Nebraska from a year ago? Yeah. That's all that matters. He's got some ballers over there. Can't take that away from him. He's got two Heisman Trophy candidates. Can't take that away from him. But in order to win it, you've got to win games as well, the final drive, our number two coming up next.
0: The Sound of Mobile presents for the win, the final drive. Oh, no, they didn't. Oh my gracious, yeah. How about that? With Corey Labounty and Nick Wiggins for the win goes! live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. Unbelievable. the
1: say from wafb9 sports joining us this afternoon here on the final drive hold that tiger the only thing that was holding that tiger last night were the seminoles in the second half a great first half performance by the lsu tigers taking on the florida state seminoles it was just a tale literally of two halves Jacques, welcome to the final drive. I know you're on your way home from Camping World Stadium and that really big time upset of FSU thumping the Tigers last night, forty five to twenty
3: four. Yeah, I'm actually passing through Mobile. It's ironic. Uh I'm next to a place called Felix's it's Yes, Felix? Yeah. Uh, big they live on the Ralph and Kakus and wall to wall uh bumper to bumper traffic. So Trying to get back home on the Labor Day holiday, but good to be with you. And yeah, LSU was a, uh, a two-point favorite in the game. They led by three at halftime, and then Florida State goes on a uh, 31-to-nothing run to really boat race them in the second half and turn a, a close game into a uh, embarrassing defeat for the tigers
1: well i know that when you look at one year ago with the debut of brian kelly and the special teams blunders that really cost lsu in that game i was absolutely shocked by what i was seeing in the second half and keon coleman nine receptions 122 yards and three touchdowns the transfer coming in from michigan state you look at Jaden daniels Overall, I just think it was the bad juju from the beginning on the opening drive, not being able to convert on fourth downs. Was that the story of the game, or was it just that Brian Kelly told the truth that his team isn't where he thought they should be?
4: Well,
3: I think a lot of things followed up. Like you said, you know, LSU gets the ball first, the first play of the game, they run a beautiful running back out of the backfield, hit him down the sideline, 55 yards, and then uh, LSU had a first and goal at the five, and they had a first and goal at the one and did not score any points. They later had a first, uh, a fourth and goal, a uh, fourth and a one at the 11 of Florida State. Didn't get any points on that drive. So those two drives not uh, amounting to any points really hurt. And, and then LSU just dropped too many passes. As you mentioned, who. That's really kind of twisting the knife on LSU fans because he's from Opelousas, Louisiana, uh, the home of Devery Henderson, former New Orleans Saint uh, and LSU great, caught the Bluegrass miracle. But uh, yeah, he, he just out jumped LSU's cornerbacks. And uh, and then when Jaden Daniels threw the interception, when Malik Neighbors, his wide receiver, had fallen down, LSU was down by seven at that point. I think that was just... Uh, that that was the dagger. Um, once Florida State scored after that, and LSU was down two scores. They they never could recover. And then uh, an LSU defense that's known for being physical and tough and you know tough LSU defenses uh, really kind of got pushed around and or pushed around and bullied there in the fourth quarter. So yeah, I mean the Brian Brian Kelly a week ago going into the game said, "Hey, I feel like we're well prepared. I feel like we've done all we can do. How will we play? I have no idea." And, and that's the thing. That keeps coaches up at night. You can prepare them as well as you want, but until you play an opponent, a bit of a mystery. And and as we saw, Florida State uh, looks like a very strong team and a playoff contender. And perhaps that's the silver lining LSU takes walking away from this is that perhaps they played the best team that they'll play all year.
2: In the first half of that game, LSU looked like the better team, you know, going down the field, not being able to convert on those fourth and ones and the muff punt and uh, tipping that interception and not getting it. There were so many opportunities where they could have potentially went into the half, maybe up 28-14. Then you see that horrible second half. What do you think is the main takeaway and who is the real LSU? Is it that team that we saw in the first half where they were playing – better, but they just weren't able to capitalize on opportunities, or was it that team in the second half that just got the break speed off them?
3: Yeah, I think that's what we're going to find out. We're not going to find out anything next weekend because they're playing grambling, and no offense to grambling, but this will be LSU's easiest game of the year. Should be anyway, and then the following weekend is the SEC opener at Mississippi State in Starkville. I guess that'll be the, the, uh, the date. We'll see if LSU's reset. We'll see if they have figured out how to use Harold perkins perhaps in a better fashion uh you know after he terrorized quarterbacks last year they tried to move him inside and try to make him a complete linebacker he was uh he was a wash in the game didn't really do anything um and then there's always a lot of discussion about Jaden daniels uh you know he does some electric things as a runner and he's just not a guy that really chunks the ball down the field a whole lot at the same time i'm not sure how many LSU wide receivers were running wide open that he missed. Uh, there was certainly a play at the end of the third quarter where Brian Thomas, an LSU wide receiver, was running wide open. The ball perhaps could have been thrown a tad better, but Thomas still dropped it. So um, I think there's some questions about um, just their talent. I mean, talent has never been a question with LSU. Typically in the less Miles days, they had just as much talent as anybody. The frustrating part was that their scheme and some of the things they did were antiquated. Uh, But now I think on the defensive side of the ball, your corners, some of your guys in the secondary perhaps are just not up to the usual standard at DBU. And those are some things when you're playing offenses like Ole Miss and and others here coming up, obviously Mississippi State, I think they've changed their offense a little bit, but Will Rogers is one of the best quarterbacks in the league. So uh, those are all things that – you know, at the end of last year there were there were some warts. I mean, they went to Texas A and M who was uh having a losing season and got boat raced in that game and the the bowl game at the end of the year, you know, was, was mouthwashed. It kinda, you know, gave everyone a nice taste in their mouth to beat a team sixty three to seven, win ten games and go into the Florida sunshine. But this is a you know, this is a punch in the face to start the year.
1: It really is. And the question that I have as well in in watching your timeline because I know that you're all in all the tigers all the time this being the fourth consecutive opening loss for this LSU program haven't won since the 2019 national championship to open up a season i i think that anytime any team wants to go undefeated and be that perfect team but it's so hard why is it that lsu struggles is it because of their opponents that they're opening with because next year southern cal comes a calling so it doesn't get any easier next year
3: as well yeah that's right i mean you know uh, there's all you can always say the opposite of what's going on right i mean if lsu was winning all these games uh you would say hey what a what a huge step to begin the year to beat a team like Florida State and get that win under your belt. That is going to be huge for us when the playoffs are announced and we have a victory like that. When you lose them, it's like, well, I'll play a uh, a cupcake to start the year, and then when you start beating the cupcakes, you're saying these games are boring. I'd rather play a big team. So uh, you can always talk out of both sides of your mouth, but I but I think there's different scenarios in 2020. That was the Frankenstein. Uh, COVID season. The LSU team from the season before the Dream Team had been gutted. Uh, Jamar Chase had opted out a few things. Uh, all the racial problems in our country and Baton Rouge had hit the team. and They just were totally flat and uh, poor defensively with Bo Pelini as a defensive coordinator. 2021, Coach O knows he's on the hot seat. That's when he yelled at the UCLA fan and said you're wearing a sissy blue shirt and all that stuff. And then uh UCLA had played a week zero game the week before. So this is the so two times in the last four years LSU's opening opponent played a game before LSU. And, and I do think that that means something, especially in college football, where you, where you say you make the biggest improvement from week one to week two. Um, LSU did not play a week zero opponent in 2021. UCLA beat them. And then in 2022, Florida State played somebody in week zero, and then blocks an extra point to beat LSU by one point. This year, it was the first game for both both teams. Uh, LSU, as Coach Kelly said after the game, perhaps we thought we were somebody we're not. I don't know why we thought we were the two-time defending national champions in Georgia. Uh, You know, the top five national ranking and all that, and all this national championship talk, and watching the women's basketball team and the baseball team at LSU win the national title, they think perhaps they're just going to waltz in and it's going to happen to them too, but Obviously, that's uh, certainly not the case. But you're right. Four straight losses, and the next year, a big, a big, another big time season opener in Las Vegas against uh, the US, USC Trojans.
1: Jacques Doucet, WAFB nine Sports, joining us here on the final drive as he's making his way through Mobile, Alabama, leaving the Camping World Stadium <coughs> game last night. And Jacques, also the running game of LSU it it was really a concern a year ago you look at the leading rusher being Jaden Daniels 15 carries by your quarterback Josh Williams has four for 44 and I think it's just what the doctor ordered with Grambling coming to town as far as getting that offensive rhythm, getting that tempo, getting the confidence going into your first conference opponent in being Mississippi State. But what does the offensive line have to do within these next couple of weeks to really turn it up a notch for the running backs?
3: Well, the things you mentioned all took place last year. Your your leading rusher was your quarterback, and he's a hell of a runner, and he's, he does. He might be the best runner At quarterback LSU's ever had in their history but at the same time your your leading running back last year only had 532 yards and so in this game I think Josh Williams had one night's uh, run of 35 yards and the rest of the running backs were 11 carries for 14 yards. I mean LSU has a proud tradition uh, Les Miles despite his stubbornness his teams could run the football and had a running back to turn around and hand it to whether it was Leonard Fournette or Darius Geis or whatever the case may be so um, the, the inability to run the football is is something that was a bit alarming yesterday. Uh, Logan Diggs, the running back they picked up from Notre Dame, he did not play. Uh, heard something about a hamstring. Coach Kelly didn't admit that. Uh, kind of used some coach speak, and um, so yeah, that that's that that's an issue. And your offensive line, I mean, I think they, I think they're a bit shocked by what happened. I mean, they had they they baptized a couple of great players by fire last last year's true freshman Emory Jones from. Catholic High and Baton Rouge, and then Will Campbell from Neville High School and up north, uh, northeast Louisiana, uh, those two guys back on the line, and they had gotten some reinforcements. But obviously they didn't get the push uh, starting right with that opening drive when they were first and goal at the one and couldn't put, punch it in. So uh, that has gotten a lot of discussion as well, whereas the running game and the offensive line, once again, a bit shaky.
2: With this LSU offense basically sinking or swimming based off Jaden Daniels' passing performance and rushing performance, how bad do you cringe every time he takes a good lick like he did uh, last night against Florida State?
3: Yeah, and by the way, I'm going into the tunnel, so I don't know if I'm going to lose you or not. Do cell phones get lost in the mobile tunnel? Sometimes. (laughs) Depends on your carrier. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, yeah, he, he took a few shots uh I, by by the end of last year he was a bit gimpy and certainly got knocked out of both the Texas a m and Georgia games he's put on some weight he's not as skinny as he used to be but still um you know when you you should not leap into the air like he did last night and get uh and get smashed so those are, you don't want your quarterback taking shots like that Garrett Nauzmier is a very electric backup quarterback and a guy who pushes the ball down the field and has that Kind of Johnny Menzel, uh, Brett Favre, uh, gunslinger mentality. And so he's waiting back there, and certainly he has his, his share of fans as well.
1: Jacques, have you seen an LSU team really do what was done last night? Dominate for an entire half, even though they made a couple of mistakes and just completely collapse? And really, I guess, piss off a lot of odds makers and gamblers and bettors as well in Las Vegas. But just a a, a whole collapse of a half to where sometimes you struggle for a quarter, but you're able to find that mojo that was working for you in the first and second quarters. But an entire half of LSU just being like, LSU (laughs) who?
3: Well, I think the 2021 season opener was similar. Coach O's last year. I think they went back and forth, and the game was pretty close at halftime. Either LSU was ahead or slightly behind. And then in the second half, UCLA really just pushed the LSU around with the running game. Uh, what's the running back's name? Charbonnet, I think he was there, uh, and, and some other guys. Uh, and and that was something we were not used to seeing. Typically, LSU would lose a game is because they were being stubborn on offense or something. You never really see an LSU team, known for their strength and conditioning and uh, and all that, to get pushed around. And just I don't want to use the word quit, but that's a word that gets tossed around when you like last night uh, allow a team to go on a 31 to nothing run. It's like, well, how much resistance are you really giving or trying to to, to put up? So. You know, I think that's one criticism, perhaps, of of the Brian Kelly team so far. You know, a year and one game into it, is that uh, you know the loss the losses last year. Obviously, the first loss to Florida State was a, was a close one, but then the Tennessee game they kind of it kind of spun out of control. The A and M game, the same thing, and then the Georgia game. You know, uh, Georgia's Georgia, so I can't be too critical of LSU. But then you got this game, so uh, yeah, I think that's 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 a conversation the players and coaches. Uh, are having if they haven't had it already is like, you know, you've got the LSU across your helmet. Uh, this is a, we're supposed to be one of the best programs in college football and take pride in what we do and your own scholarship and you live up to it. So that it, it was uh, was a bit embarrassing. I mean, if you lose that game by 10 points or less, that's one thing, but, you know, uh, there, it's going to be very, very hard to get, any, get back into any kind of conversation about playoff championships when you look at the paper and it says 45 24 it's just hard to to get around that
1: it really is and i can't thank you enough for taking time out of your driving schedule to join us here on the final drive on wnsp 105.5 and while you're still driving through mo through mobile on your way back to baton rouge you when you turn us off you or go off the air with this you can keep it on wnsp 105.5 on your on your fm dial and hear us talk a little bit more about college football and the upsets and deon sanders and everything that they were able to do along with Tulane handling their business over south alabama down in new orleans this weekend but i personally i know my my partner here nick wiggins has lsu running the table finding a way to, to get back in good graces, not only with Brian Kelly, but all LSU Tiger fans. He he has them doing some damage when the SEC season starts, and, and that's really all that matters when you look at it because this loss last year, even though it was a lot closer, you've seen teams scratch and claw and get
2: back in this thing. That's right. The scariest dog to be around is one that's been beaten and abused. Those are the ones that will bite you. <laughs>
3: Well, he's got a point. I mean, LSU should be favored in every game moving forward. Now they're all outside of Grambling, and even that Army game is a little looks a little tricky. But uh, you know, every SEC game will be a toss-up. But they'll be they'll be favored in every game, and if they can somehow get to the bye at seven and one going into the Alabama game in Tuscaloosa, they can still be a great season. But It's going to take a little while for the sting of this one to wear off.
1: Absolutely. And can't thank you enough for, again, taking time on your Labor Day drive back to to your home to join us here on WNSP 105.5. How can people catch you on X or slash Twitter and find out more about Brian Kelly and these LSU Tigers moving forward throughout the rest of this football season?
3: Yeah, Corey, uh, uh, at Jacques Doucet, J-A-C-Q-U-E-S-D-O-U-C-E-T uh, on Twitter. What a what just an awful move. Huh? Just, I, for those of you who were, like, alive in 1985 when Coke changed to the new Coke, you know, why, why did they change Twitter to X? But anyway, I, uh, I digress. Uh, and then WAFB.com is our uh, television station where most of our stuff is posted. In, uh, go to our WAFB YouTube page as well. Tons of content there, especially on the LSU Tigers uh, for you to watch and listen to.
1: Thank you so much, Jock. We'll talk to you again very soon.
4: Thank you, Corey. Appreciate it.
1: Jock say two-time Louisiana Sportscaster of the Year and two-time Emmy Award winner breaking down the LSU Tigers' failure in the second half against Florida State. And like you said, just some things that Brian Kelly has to clean up, will get cleaned up, and we saw a glimpse of what can happen with this LSU Tigers program in the first half. We'll see if they can put a full four quarters together, not just against Grambling, but as they begin Southeastern Conference play here in a couple of weeks. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Bounty and Nick Wiggins joining you on this Labor Day edition of the final drive. Hey, this is Amari Cooper. You're listening to Sports Radio WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5, a Labor Day edition, whereas a lot of people are off work. We're hoping you're enjoying your off day because there's never a day off when it comes to the start of college football over this long Labor Day weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and of course today a little tonight action, Clemson traveling to take on Duke at 7 o'clock p.m. The Riley Leonard, Fairhopes, great prodigy quarterback, having an opportunity to, to put his underdog national championship and Heisman hopeful moments in the full spotlight of a national audience tonight. Now, one of the things that I found interesting this weekend was Jim Harbaugh, of course, being suspended for Michigan. His offensive coordinator, Sharon Moore, he was suspended for this one game also dealing with the NCAA investigation where Jim Harbaugh just said, hey, why don't you just come watch the game with me? We'll watch the game together. So their families watched the game <laughs> with East Carolina on television together, and both of them really liked what they saw is they were able to win 30-3. to three. Mm-hmm. Pretty interesting concept when you look at your offensive coordinator and your head coach, free Hall Ball shirts being worn by the team. They line up in a very funky and untraditional formation to begin the, the game in honor of Coach Harbaugh and a play that he called a few years ago in his first year as Michigan head coach. Man, how would you like it if your OC and your head coach are just chilling together in the living room watching their team play on television?
2: Well, it only happens when they're suspended, so you don't really want it to happen too often, (laughs) but I guess if they are facing a suspension, you might as well.
1: Yeah, something different for certain and something that's going to be different moving forward in next year's college football playoffs alignment or the conference alignments. The Pac-12, folks, 13-0. and 0. Pac-12, yeah, I said it. The SEC struggled. The Pac-12 going back to Southern Cal's win in week zero of what they call college football. And now you look at them being undefeated. The Pac-12 having the best quarterbacks in the country playing for them. And this is a conference that's not even going to exist next year, Nick Wiggins. That's hard when you think about it. Something that is remarkable as a conference that's not even existing next year, but starts off 12 and 0 to begin this football season. Really 13 and 0 because Southern Cal has won twice.
2: That's right, man. I mean, now maybe maybe they're wishing they didn't bust this all up and just tried to bring more people out there or something. I mean, you got you got a lot of good teams out there. Oregon killed their opponent. Oregon State, they look good. Colorado, Colorado might be, you know, that could have been your new uh, media darling of that conference, but you got USC. I mean, Washington, there's a lot of good teams in the Pac-12. It's a shame that they're going to have to bust it all up, but yeah, 13 and 0, best in a conference uh, starts over in over 90 years. And then you talk about the SEC. Every team in the SEC that played a ranked opponent this past week lost by 13 points or more. That would be Florida losing to Utah, South Carolina losing to North Carolina, and then last night LSU losing to Florida State is the Pac-12 is not a better conference than the SEC, right, Corey? I think they're a better quarterback
1: conference overall. Absolutely not. I mean, bad Bo Nix or good Bo Nix, how you look at it? Twenty-three out of twenty-seven, two hundred eighty-seven yards and three touchdowns to start his career, his senior career. Eighty-one to seven winners. Over Portland
2: State, eighty-one to seven. That is that winners. is a crazy blowout right there. There was another crazy blowout, uh, Oklahoma versus Arkansas State. They beat them seventy-three to zero. Arkansas State's coach Butch Jones was very emotional on the sideline. You know, normally you see the coaches console the kids, you know, because they're kind of get wrapped up in their emotions and they take it really hard on themselves if they drop a ball or if they throw a pick or whatever. But the players were actually having to console Butch Jones. He was looking really emotional on the sidelines. You don't ever want to go out and lose seventy-three to zero, but you also don't want to go out and lose eighty-one to seven. That's not much better. Cal,
1: big-time winners over North Texas. Of course, North Texas is one of those teams that you you never know what you're going to get out of them. Fifty-eight to twenty-one winners, Cal is seeing Auburn next week. So, offensively, you're looking at two teams that were able to score in the 50s in Cal and Auburn. Something's got to give. I know Auburn's defense has to rise up to the occasion. It's been said that Pac-12, they don't really play great defense. So, we'll get a chance to see that. And You look at UCLA with a 27-13 win over Coastal Carolina. So as far as the Pac-12 having the best quarterbacks, Caleb Williams, 66-14 to winners over Nevada, putting up the type of numbers that you definitely want to see a reigning Heisman Trophy winner have, 18 out of 24, 319 yards and five touchdowns. It was asked to us on Friday, Jake Crane wanted to know our Heisman, trophy winners. You said Colorado has two of them. Of course. They got the top 2 right now. Caleb Williams not too shabby though. No, you, not you can't at all. take anything away from a five touchdown performance with no interception and 319
2: if, yards if Shadur Sanders See the here's the thing. Travis Hunter played nearly every snap for Colorado. He was their lockdown corner with the pick and he was their lead in receiver. If I believe that if Colorado were to, all they have to win is eight games. If Colorado goes (laughs) eight and four, if Colorado goes eight and four and your dual threat corner wide receiver Travis Hunter is playing every snap and is still having, you know, 100 yards a game and playing defense, you have to give him the Heisman. I don't care what you know, any other player does, what any other quarterback does, the the quarterback of the undefeated team. If Colorado wins eight games and Travis Hunter is playing that elite on both sides of the ball, you have got to give that guy the Heisman.
1: All right, here it is, Nick. Is Colorado going to crack the top 25 after this game tonight between Clemson and Duke when tomorrow's polls roll around? Will we see the Buffaloes, who only won one game a year ago, Crack the top 25. No. All right, so they beat Nebraska this week, and they go they're, 2-0. They're, they're going to start the season 3-0. So they're going to defeat Nebraska.
2: They're going to beat their arch rival, Colorado State. And then Oregon versus Colorado will be a top 25 matchup between both the teams. Will Colorado be in it? You, you said how many wins do you think? Because I, I gave them three
1: on the year. I said Dion will 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 triple up more so than one win for the Buffaloes.
2: They're gonna beat Nebraska two and o. They're gonna beat Colorado State three and o. They're gonna lose to Oregon three and one. They're gonna lose to USC three and two, four and two Arizona State five and two Stanford six and two UCLA. I think they can beat Oregon State seven and two. They're gonna beat Arizona eight and two. They might go nine and three, man. Man, Deion Sanders, you made that call to where
1: you think he needs to be the highest-paid coach in college football. You you have that type of record rolling in and giving yourself an opportunity to to, to play for a high-tier bowl game with eight wins. I still don't see that coming. But Shadur Sanders is definitely – that dude, Travis Hunter, definitely is
2: that dude. You, you, you who, who in the world do you think can do what Dion has done in this short amount of time? Is there any other person on this planet, any other coach? Any other coach, former player, who can do what Dion is doing in Colorado against that opponent in that short amount of time, bringing in the players that he brought in, building the culture that he's built? Who else can do that other than him? I don't think anyone can.
1: We'll think about that during the break as far as can anyone, is anyone capable of doing what Dion has done? We'll talk about that, definitely during the break here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Hope you're enjoying your Labor Day because we sure are here at the workplace talking great college football and more on the final drive.
0: Hey there, this is Bob Baumauer, ex-jock, and I listen to 105.5 WNSP Mobile, Alabama.
2: Welcome back to the final drive. Now, Corey, over the break. Have you come up with any other contenders that could potentially flip around a program like a Deion Sanders can? Who does Colorado State need to hire this summer as their new coach? The electricity that
1: Deion Sanders can provide, you would would definitely have to bring in a very visible person you know you, you look at people like Shannon Sharp that has football pedigree you look at people like a Michael Irvin who have football pedigree not really people that have the long-term effect and the resume that Deion Sanders has because it's one thing to have a resume it's another thing to be able to pr- produce receipts for your resume, and to show, hey, look, if I bring you here, these are the results you're going to get. Jackson State traveled well, but nowhere near the amount of publicity that they received the two years that he was the head coach there, or the three years he was the head coach at Jackson State. Nowhere near the amount of sponsorships that he was able to bring, nowhere near. Colorado struggles to pay his salary. When they signed him as their head coach, not enough money to even pay his $27 million salary, which is amazing to me. The Buffaloes took that gamble, and their gamble paid off right. because he sold out a stadium. Now, as far as trying to find a football guy, I I just don't think that you're going to be able to find a a football guy who has that much pedigree behind him. There's there's no resumes that that can top Deion Sanders. Now, for him to talk as much as he's talked, they had to back it up this past Saturday. And you mentioned it being three touchdown underdogs. They were able to back it up. Now, the disappointing part is when you look at South Alabama versus Tulane this weekend. South Alabama making the drive over to New Orleans, and they wind up losing 37-17. to 17. Michael Pratt, who is on the Senior Bowl watch list, 14 out of 15, 294 yards, four touchdowns. Carter Bradley, not a bad day at the office from a throwing standpoint, 23 out of 3,490 yards. One touchdown, but those two INTs, those two interceptions, or turnovers for South Alabama were critical in ultimately meeting their demise, and New Orleans is not a place that has been kind to the Jaguars.
2: No, I mean, coming off that Western Kentucky Bowl game, maybe maybe there's some kind of curse going on in that town, I don't know, but... South Alabama fought to get it back to a one-score game, but, man, when you look at this box score, Michael Pratt one in completion, nearly 300 yards passing and four touchdowns. South Alabama, you know, you're just not getting a lot of yards per completion. It, se- it was just a struggle. You're not getting a lot of yards per carry. That offense just could not really get any rhythm and, and move. And two lane. I mean, they didn't really do too good in the running game either. But that passing game, you can never let a team 14 of 15, 300 yards, four touchdowns, no picks like you can. That is just that is that is. You you can't have that happen,
1: Corey. Five turnovers by the Jaguars. You're not going to win football games in conference, out of conference with five turnovers. And even though they were able to turn Tulane over three times, on the opening drive for South Alabama, unfortunately, LaDamian Webb, he has that, that costly fumble to start the game. And that ultimately gave Tulane great field position. And I think that the offensive line is going to have to step up to the plate and redeem themselves when they open up against Southeastern Louisiana at Hancock Whitney Stadium. And at 530, we'll have Pat Greenwood on with this to talk a little bit about what he saw and the improvements that the Jaguars have to make. Because this is this is a team that is coming off historic 10 wins. Not the way that you ultimately wanted to start it, but yeah. it's just one game. You're just 0-1. Right. The biggest improvement... Every single football coach, every single fan would tell you this is from week one to week two. That's where you want to see the greatest amount of improvement.
2: That's right. And and look, I said, you know, all last week, this game was going to be a big tell on what the peak and potential that this South Alabama Jaguars football team has this year. And coming off this, and like, look, I don't want to overreact to one game, but I only have one game to react to, so it's gonna be. I don't necessarily know if they're gonna be better than they were last year. They could still win ten games, but I just don't. I don't. I don't know if they're gonna be. You know, like, uh, I don't remember who was on. I think it might have been JT. You're going from being the hunted, or going from being the hunter to the hunted. And now everybody's got their eyeballs on the team that won 10 games last year. So you're not sneaking up on anybody, and they did not sneak up on Tulane at all.
1: No, Tulane is definitely a top 25 team, and Tulane will be getting a little bit of Ole Miss this week. Now, speaking on Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin, he had a thing or two to say about his team's performance this week in the non-conference schedule. Always love to hear Lane Kippen chop it up when it becomes to his team.
2: After that first
1: play by Mercer, the touchdown, just how did you feel the defense kind of responded after that, just overall in that, with this new system undergoing?
0: Well, I said on the headset, uh, we paid a lot of money, um, Pete, for you, and that's not exactly what we're expecting, so. That wasn't a real good start, but they did tell me after that we only get 14 yards rushing, so um, maybe my joke he responded to.
1: Paid a lot of money for Pete Golding to join that old (laughs) man's staff. You ultimately win 73 to seven, dominating fashion. But when Mercer hits you in the mouth on the opening drive, you have to feel a little bit antsy. And he might have said it in a joking manner, but you had to know that he was serious, too, about the way that Mercer was able to go ahead and score early against Ole Miss.
2: Yeah, Mercer, you know, that was who beat uh, Coach Deerman and North Alabama in that opening game. But Ole Miss, man, they took it to him, And that, I mean, they just went to show you that it's, it's a different. There's levels to this, right? There's different levels to it. And Ole Miss, man, 73 to 7. There's a lot of big blowouts. I mean, I, I'm I can't remember what all these week one scores were last season, but I mean, you got Ole Miss dropping 73. You got Oklahoma dropping 73. You got Oregon dropping eighty-one. I mean, teams are out here scoring points. It doesn't seem like um that clock running and that new rule really uh change the scores that much this week
1: as far as changing the scores i don't think it's going to change the scores i think that it's going to change the time on the game you're not going to look at a three hour and 30 minute game it should cut it in half maybe by 15 minutes or so you'll see it speed up a little bit but if you look at the sec we mentioned uh, the the danger that they were in versus ranked opponents this past week South Carolina and North Carolina, I know that Mac Brown becoming the first head coach to be able to win a hundred games at two different U- Power Five universities. He's wins over a hundred games at Texas, then he's turns around and he's won over a hundred games at North Carolina. Not too shabby there by what we call an old school coach in him getting it done. That's right, man. Good Drake, for him. Drake May, 24 out of 32, 269, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Not a great day.
2: Not S- my Heisman.
1: Spencer Rattler, 30 out of 39, 353, no touchdowns,
2: no interceptions either, though. He didn't play bad, but North Carolina, I think everyone thought it was Drake May and everyone else around him and that maybe they'd be holding him back, but it seems like the North Carolina team, the rest of the roster – really stepped up to do their job and to help drake may seal that win even though he didn't have that big of a heisman type contender-esque game
1: we'll talk about more heisman trophy winner candidates that are going to be coming up but we'll go back and recap auburn and alabama's big time wins next here on the final drive
0: This is Andrew Zell, Alabama former quarterback. You're listening
2: to WNSD NSD 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive. Alabama. They got their starting quarterback, and no, they didn't have to test them all out, man. They knew the one they wanted, and he came out and he put on a show. I'm going to be honest. I know I'm rocking with my Longhorns this upcoming Saturday, but watching Milrow and Alabama play Middle Tennessee, it's got me a little shaky, but hey, I got to stick with my guns. I'm still rocking with the Longhorns, but Alabama, they look damn good.
1: Yeah, the Crimson Tide handled their business against Middle Tennessee and that epic showdown with Texas coming to T-Town. And last year, when Alabama's million-dollar band and fans wanted to be a part of that Texas stadium and coming into town, guess where they put Alabama's band? In the tippy-tippy top. They sure did, but what goes around comes around. So Texas and their band will be having to to play their fight song Throughout the entire night at Bryant Denny Stadium, at the tippy tippy top as well. So you you want to mistreat the home team and and give the fans the best chance to your home fans the best chance to see the game. Well, Alabama programs said, "Look, we, we, we can we can one up you on that when we can show you the same hospitality that you showed us by keeping us in the nosebleeds." So that's exactly where Texas is band will be now i know tonight where i'll be is in front of my big screen television watching clemson and duke play one another big time matchup for riley leonard and the blue devils nine and four in coach elko's opening year coach mike elko had an outstanding year for the duke blue devils last year and that's really what kind of has opened up the eyes to Riley Leonard being a dark horse for a possible Heisman trophy, but elite ACC action to start off with Clemson and Duke, and we'll see exactly what happens tonight for Dabo Sweeney, who feels his program's not getting a
2: lot of love and a lot of respect early. Yeah, I I, I can't honestly tell you much about Duke football other than the fact that Riley Leonard is their quarterback and he had a really good year last year and he now is on a lot of people's radar for NFL-type hype, you know, low-key underdog Heisman-type hype, like you said. But, look, Clemson, man, and Dabo, we know what they can do, right? We've seen Clemson play in the big games with Trevor Lawrence, Deshaun Watson, Clemson's ranked number nine. Clemson, their schedule, I mean, it's really just can you get through Notre Dame and can you get through Florida State and then you're going to have Clemson in that playoff. But honestly, man, after watching Florida State and those big giant wide receivers and that crazy D-line last night, I think, and look, you can vouch for me here when I was making my college football playoff prediction I said, man, I got four teams right here on the edge that I really want to put in. And Florida State was one of them. They're good, man. And they don't actually have to play Notre Dame, so they have a little bit of an easier schedule as well.
1: We'll see if Clemson and Florida State are by far the two best teams in the ACC, but looking forward to seeing Riley Leonard coming off, throwing 20 touchdowns and running for 13 more. We've seen him be a a tremendous dual threat quarterback during his prep time here at Fairhope. We'll see if he's able to do that against the Clemson Tigers tonight. And Dabo Sweeney gonna bring the swing tonight versus Duke. So we'll see what happens. Look forward to that. Eleven and three Clemson last year.
2: And you can hear that here on WNSP. We're going to be broadcasting the whole game. But look, we're going from Clemson Tigers. Let's go over to Auburn Tigers. And let's talk with Zach Blackerby of Locked On Auburn and hear his takeaway from their matchup with UMass yesterday.
0: The Sound of Mobile presents... For the win! The final drive. No, they didn't. Oh, my gracious. Yep. How about that? With Corey Labounty and Nick Wiggins. For the win! Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the sound of mobile app. Oh, oh, unbelievable.
1: Welcome to hour number three of the final drive. It's a final drive Labor Day edition here on WNSP 105.5. A lot of people had today off, but Nick Wiggins and I, in the opening kickoff, we're here to bring you the recap. And get your voice and opinion on what you were able to see throughout this four-day work weekend. And it was a long weekend, but it was a great weekend because tonight it concludes with Clemson and Duke. Of course, you had Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, and again tonight, five days worth of football. And we get started with the NFL season coming here right around the corner as well. Very impressive wins by Alabama and Auburn both. Alabama going to be tested a lot more than Auburn is in week number two of college football. South Alabama will be looking to redeem themselves when they open up the 2023 season at home, their home opener against Southeastern Louisiana. We'll be talking to Pat Greenwood coming up here at five 30 about the South Alabama Jaguars performance against new Orleans this week. But When you look at really the collegiate football shocking news of the week, it definitely had to be Colorado coming away, upsetting TCU and the Pac-12 being undefeated. Texas State stuns Baylor, and that really would have been what kept college football fans shaking their heads. But Deion Sanders finding a way to get a W in his debut and he has some help and it's going to be fun to watch
2: the Colorado Buffaloes to see how many wins that they can have this season I know the narrative sure can change quick can't it Corey because you know you're going from all maybe they'll win three games to now all of a sudden it's almost hard to find three losses that they're going to take based off their schedule and based off the way they played now you know, we talk about Hunter and him playing on both sides of the ball and getting that interception, but look, that defense still gave up 45 points to TCU. Now, did uh, Shadur drop and that offense dropped 48? Yes, but it's not It's not like they won 48 to 7. Um, but, I mean, look, they're playing this, a 17th ranked team in the country, and this is the team that was in the national championship game last year, so... You know, I said it earlier in the show, you couldn't write a better script in a movie studio. Um, you know, they got that writer's strike going on, so they got to bring the Hollywood magic here in reality. And that's Dion, man. And he's playing that theme music. And not only that is he, he talks a little smack, man. And anytime a reporter potentially uh, says something or says they didn't believe him, he keeps the receipts. And here's an example of that.
0: Of What's up, all you believe that? Above the view, all of Do you believe that? Huh? Who said I didn't believe Oh, the no, no, no. I ran through that whole junkie boat. I, I ran through that. I sipped okay, what, it through what all. What did that. I write? Ah! What did I write? Oh, no. Come Can I on. ask my question? Do you believe? In what?
2: Do believe? <laughs> Does he believe? He read the article, man. He read the article, he didn't believe in Colorado, and Dion did not forget that and he put him on blast right there in front of everybody. And man, if you didn't believe, you better start believing now. That's Ed Werder. You remember Ed Werder? Who covers the
1: Cowboys? Mm. That was who he was asking, <laughs> do you believe? But Deion says he keeps receipts on everyone. So it's not sure. just Ed Werder. He's keeping receipts on. He's keeping receipts on everyone who thought that the Colorado Buffaloes were only going to win maybe two games, three at the most this season. Dion said he's bringing his own luggage to Boulder. And it's and Louie. Louis. Top-notch luggage. Well, they definitely – were able to carry the Buffaloes to a big-time victory in first-class fashion. The other shocking game from yesterday, 45-24 to 24. last night, 31 unanswered points by FSU, 31 unanswered. I, I, I just am befuddled by the lack of offensive prowess in the second half by the LSU Tigers. I know that they want to have national championship aspirations is Nick Wiggins. I know that you love Florida state. um, Oh, excuse me. LSU winning and playing for the sec championship. But what you have to be afraid of here, if you're looking as a LSU tiger fan, you come in ranked number five, Florida state comes in ranked number eight. For those who say rankings don't mean anything, let's see here LSU jumps down to number 12. What they're going to have to start doing is finding wins against teams that are ranked ahead of them, such as in Alabama later on in November. But then how much more does that propel you? Because you need your opponents who are on your SEC West schedule to be ranked ahead of you or to be ranked in the top 10 as well for you to get a sniff back in The the viewers or the voters' eyes, now there's a reason to where people like myself didn't choose LSU to win the SEC West. Even though this is not a divisional game, this is against a top five opponent or a top ten opponent in the country, and LSU just did not produce
2: the way that they did in the first half. They had that game. They should have been up 28-14 going into the half. They give up things on little mental errors. You know, they can't convert on the fourth and one. And then I don't know what happened in that second half, man. I really do not know what happened. They 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 just got beaten and abused, and they just didn't couldn't do anything. But look, LSU, all they have to do now is they just can't lose another game. They're going to beat Grambling. Then they're going to beat Mississippi State. They got to beat Arkansas. They got to beat Ole Miss. You got to beat Missouri. You have to beat Auburn, Army, and then you have to beat Alabama. You do that, you're going to be in the SEC championship. You got to beat Texas A&M. You win all those games, then you go to the SEC championship and you decide your own fate and you can get into that playoff if you want to. Well, we've talked about the fate of the LSU Tigers
1: and Brian Kelly and the pressure that I think is there. The pressure that he sees with the national championship baseball program, the pressure I think he sees with Kim Mulkey in a very short period turning LSU women's basketball program into a national champion, Auburn and Hugh Freeze trying to become here in in their first year wanting to compete for a national championship. Do I think it's going to happen? No, I don't, but I will say this. This Hugh Freeze offense and this Auburn Tigers team that played in front of a record crowd at Jordan-Hare Stadium, winning 59-14, to you better not look past them. They're not going to be that team that you say ho-hum. They're not going to be that team that a lot of people say is the 2022 Auburn Tigers or the 2021 Auburn Tigers. This is the Hugh Freeze era. It has begun, and Robbie Ashford patiently runs for three touchdowns. You also look at Peyton Thorne being able to show why he comes from Michigan State and is able to throw some darts. Also, looking forward to seeing them take on California next week in the west coast 59 to 14 winners massachusetts over what, massachusetts
2: what do you think about that dual quarterback so they're lining up they're running two quarterbacks they run ashford you know in the goal line set uh when they get into the red zone he comes out and he didn't really throw any passes but he, like you said he ran for three touchdowns and you know that he can throw a pass if he needs to but is this a recipe for long-term success or is this just something that's just going to work on a team like UMass one of the worst in the country
1: no it's a recipe for success because what you do is in certain situations you insert different quarterbacks and when you think that Robbie Ashford is there to run 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 now all of a sudden he shows you that he can complete passes to Sean Jackson or he's gonna complete passes to one of his other wide receivers, Shane Hooks, or Javarius Johnson. So I, I think the, the versatility of Auburn is going to be key here moving forward in this 2023 season. Seven wins would be phenomenal. Six wins, I, we mentioned, you could, you could go out here, you could beat UMass, you could beat Cal, and then when you look going in, to your third game of the season against Samford, you continue to build off of your momentum. So you're 3-0 coming into your conference game with Texas A&M. And Texas A&M finds a way to handle their business. I saw another former South Alabama Jaguar coach, former coach here at Spanish Fort, and Bryant Vincent on the sidelines for New Mexico State. And they weren't able to find a w against texas a&m but at the same time they were still able to go ahead and win the game also wasn't pretty 52 new mexico 52 to 10 winners over the lobos Mm. and i i know that damian craig being a part of that offensive staff you have to love giving him an opportunity here bobby petrino that's been huge talk with Bobby Petrino joining the staff there of Jimbo Fisher. But 52 points, not too shabby. You had a slow first quarter but an explosive second quarter in which the A&M offense erupted for 28 points, 52-10 to 10 winners over New Mexico.
2: Yeah, A&M looks good. Their quarterback looks good. Now Georgia, in their game this past weekend, Obviously, they come away with the win against Tennessee Martin, 48-7, but people aren't really singing Carson Beck's praises. Now, when you look at the stat line, 21 of 31, nearly 300 yards, one touchdown, no picks, but leaving a lot to be desired there uh, for the Georgia quarterback. But we all know that Georgia's got a cupcake schedule as far as SEC schedules goes, So, I mean, you could probably put me or you back there and you're going to win at least 11 games with that schedule with that Georgia roster. But it's definitely going to be a different feel out there in Athens without Stetson Bennett this year.
1: Well, Georgia still has the same type of problems. They have a staffer, Jarvis Jones, being arrested on charges of reckless driving and speeding. And that's over a dozen Bulldogs, players, or coaches that have been reprimanded for reckless driving and speeding. It's like a broken record with Kirby Smart. I know he's tired of having to deal with it, tired of trying to have to answer what he has to do to get his staff and his players to realize that it's just... It's detrimental. You had a death in the program. And I I don't understand how much worse it can get when you have a death in the program for UGA football to understand that 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 just can't happen. Another coach charged with reckless driving and speeding. And Kirby Smart has already addressed it and said he's going to handle it in-house. But this isn't a player. This is one of your coaches
2: yeah man they got to clean that up they got to figure something out because you got to keep everyone you know on the straight and narrow especially with the big aspirations of trying to win three in a row you know the odds are already not in your favor for that and just for you know the the health and the safety of your own staff and your students just got to be better Brock Bowers leaving right back where he left off has a rushing touchdown
1: five receptions for 77 yards but the bulldogs 48 7 winners over ut martin nonetheless the final drive on wnsp 105.5 with corey labounty and nick wiggins on this labor day we'll be right
4: back yeah. Hi, this is Phillip Rivers, football coach at St. Michael Catholic. You're listening to WNSP Sports Radio.
2: Welcome back to the final drive. And guys, we've been talking about Alabama, Middle Tennessee. A lot of questions have been answered for their big game against Texas this weekend. And if you don't have any plans on where to watch the game and you're not driving up to Tuscaloosa, Drive on down to downtown Mobile and come to The Outsider and watch the Alabama versus Texas game with us, WNSP people at The Outsider. You can get a free WNSP t-shirt. You can enter to win an Alabama football jersey courtesy of The Vault. Look, they got 22 TVs. You can have a chance to enter into their Iron Bowl giveaway. There's going to be beer specials. You can get food from The Insider next door to the food court. They're going to have music playing. There's going to be a post-game party. You are not going to want to miss that. So, look, if you want to come rub it in my face that Texas is losing or if you want me to rub it in your Alabama fan friend's face, maybe you're an Auburn guy, come on by because I'm going to be there and I'm rooting for the Longhorns confidently. The Longhorns
1: confidently, Nick Wiggins says, that they're going to run the table. And Nick Wiggins earlier says that Deion Sanders should be the highest-paid college football coach in America. And I, I, I just I can't phantom that at all. I, I know Deion Sanders had a big-time win over TCU, but making him the highest-paid college football coach after one victory.
2: He, he, he deserves
1: it, man. Yeah, yeah he, he does not deserve it, Nick Wiggins. But who deserves it is our next caller to be joining us here on the final drive. Happy Labor Day, caller. And thanks for tuning in.
4: Hey, Corey. Good, happy Labor Day. Hey, so let's get something straight here. Let's wait to Colorado play somebody with a maybe top seventy-five defense. Uh, TC didn't have their starting quarterback, two best running backs, two best receivers, lost some speed. Let's don't. I mean, you give up forty-two points, you should lose anyway. Okay. If your quarterback got over for 500 or 10 yards to win by three, you're in trouble. Second of all, can you all remind me to score the LSU game that Jake Crane and old, uh, Triple G here said the LSU's the win?
1: <laughs> that out of, there? That 31 unanswered,
4: and 45 also, to hold 24. Hold on, hold on, lad,
3: I got something else for you. <laughs> um, that, man, I hate to tell ya, but you, but you're
4: going to have another tear trolling in that beer, though, Triple G, when Alabama
2: puts that Smackdown on Texas. Cause let's be honest, Texas didn't look so good this weekend. That's all right. Look, hey, room for improvement. Room for improvement. Hey man, look you, you and Jake, you and Crane, make sure Crane's with you, so y'all can
4: celebrate Waller and your sorrow <laughs> together, and both y'all's predictions can be capoosed after week number
1: two. <laughs> I love the hot takes by by Crane and Nick. Both, thank you hey, for calling this in you? on on this Labor Day, and I, I will say that. As far as Dion Sanders, Nick Nick made the statement earlier today that Dion should be the highest paid college football coach. Based on what hype you you based want or
2: productivity? Because one win, no shape, form or fashion. In that talk and walking that walk, guy has transformed Colorado <laughs> into becoming a top twenty five college football program in the nation from being the worst. To first, Dion did that in a three month period. They were a three touchdown underdog here in week one. And Dion said it didn't matter. We believe. Y'all don't believe, but we nope, believe. I do not believe. I Nick. believe no. they're, they're going to win no. eight games this no. year, man. No, no, Colorado, and no, Nick no, one, Wiggins. no one can do to Colorado in that time period. It's not just X's and O's, man. <laughs> it's establishing the culture. It's bringing in the talent. Hey, listen, no one can listen. do what Dion did. Listen,
1: Nick Wiggins, listen. Yes, he has great talent. Yes, he has retooled that roster. But it ain't this year for prime time. You give him a couple years in a new conference and you have divisionless football or playoff 12 that are able to make the college football playoffs, then you can talk to me about Deion Sanders being the highest-paid football coach. But no, sir. Find a team. That has no legacy, no culture at all. Colorado's got legacy, bruh. They've got legacy now. Come on, man. They've got legacy. Now, it's been a long time since that legacy has shown itself. But Alabama went from 92 to 09 before they won a national championship again.
2: When was the last time Colorado won a national championship?
1: Man, I, I, I know they competed for one in the 90s. I couldn't tell you the last time they won one with Bill McCarthy. I, if they did win one, it was with Bill McCarthy. Look, it, they, it,
2: they won one game last year, man. One game. <laughs> one game. Dion has already hit the quota. He's, he's hit his quota. ECU, they were in the national championship. This was not just some scrub opponent like everyone else was playing this week. Dion's team rose to the occasion. He has got the two leading Heisman candidates right now if you're only taking into account games that have been played. His son has had the best game of any quarterback in college, and Hunter, the dual-threat wide receiver cornerback who's going to play 2,000 snaps this year, if Colorado wins eight games, he deserves to be the Heisman if he keeps playing like he's playing because there ain't nobody else out there that's doing what he's doing. I will
1: say this, Nick, Dion deserves his bag, but not the ultimate bag. And if you want to base on performance, hey, I get this much money for beating a top 10 team or a top 15 team added to the contract, I'm all for that. You can have supplemental income all day long. But I I, I just know that it's going to take more than one win against TCU in order to make Deion Sanders the highest paid football coach or deservingly so here in college football just not going to happen brother Look,
2: man I'm not even talk. on the on the field stuff is a plus he built the brand man he's rebuffing the brand that's right Co- Colorado you're going to see a lot more kids out here rocking some Colorado hoodies and some T-shirts and jerseys. Shoot. I was, I was on fanatics.com in the middle of that game. I was like, man, I got to give me some Colorado swag. I got to give me some primetime swag. Won the That's 1990
1: the National Championship. Colorado. Man. 1990.
2: It was a random one-off, man.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what. Pat Greenwood's never a one-off. He gives us great insight and in-depth coverage to South Alabama football as the Jaguars took on Tulane this weekend. We'll talk about South Alabama's loss, 37-17 to against the Tulane Green Wave coming up next here on The Final Drive.
0: This is Jason Caffey. Thank you for listening to WNSP 105.5 FM.
1: Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Hope everyone has enjoyed their Labor Day weekend and are enjoying us this evening here on the final drive. And, you know, the Big Easy has not been so easy for the South Alabama Jaguars the last couple of times they have visited South Alabama coming away with a loss 37 to 17 against the Tulane Green Wave ranked number 24 in the country and the Jaguars were able to cut it to 24 to 17 in the third quarter and ultimately I think turnovers is when you look at the big picture of things for this game Pat Greenwood always joins us here on WNSP 105.5 Pat how's everything going my brother?
4: Well, well you, you, I think you got it wrong, man. We didn't play this past weekend. We don't play till next weekend.
1: Yeah, that too. Hey, <laughs> hey look, look, 1-0 at home for sure. No doubt about it, trying to go 1-0 at home.
4: I asked Nick, I said, do I have to talk about Saturday's game? He goes, yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. It,
1: it, 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 when it's 24-17, I'm like, okay, look, we, we have a chance here. Just one stop is all we need, but trying to stop a quarterback by the name of Michael Pratt, 14 out of 15, 294 and four touchdowns. I guess I was asking a little bit too much uh, and had too too much confidence really in, in myself <laughs> thinking that we were going to be able to stop Michael Pratt.
4: Well, and the thing is, okay. First of all, let's baseline it. Tulane's a very good team, um, and they just they they just beat us. I mean, that's just that's just one of those things. But but I'll I'll tell you, yeah, Pratt's fantastic. His receivers were great, but. Let me talk about that offensive line that they've got. Uh, he had all day to throw. I, you know, As the game progressed, and I think our, our defense started to figure it out, we got some pressure on him toward the uh, end of the second quarter and got some pressure on him as the game progressed. But that's a fantastic offensive line. That's a good two-lane team. But, uh, but they just beat us. You, you, know, you talked about the turnovers. I think that was uh, certainly one of the issues. I mean, you, you're not going to beat anybody with five turnovers. But the other thing is, and, and talking to Kane Womack today uh, at his regular Monday News, conference. The biggest thing is, he said there were about six critical plays where guys know their assignment, they know what they're supposed to do, and it wasn't a lack of effort. It was one of those things where they're trying to do too much. And instead of uh, of doing their job, playing their assignment, knowing what you're supposed to do in this play, it's, well, I'm going to jump this route, and all of a sudden you're trying to jump a route ahead of you, and you forget about the guy that's streaking behind you, and all of a sudden it's too late. So, um, you know, we, we did some good things, but obviously not not nearly enough to win that, win that football game. Uh, and, yeah, it was frustrating as a fan, uh, certainly, because uh, there are a lot of expectations with uh, so much experience coming back. Um, and just just was not our night. Um, again, I can't fault the guys' effort. Uh, I don't think they ever gave up. But, um, you know, it just, that, that, was, that was not the showing we wanted in game one, absolutely.
1: Well, if there are positives behind it, it's the fact that there was no quit in this South Alabama squad and the fact that you do have a chance to see the biggest improvement from game one to game two and the O-line has a chance to protect Carter better this week but there's no place like home for the South Alabama Jaguars getting the chance to come off the road and against a top 25 team that's gonna have their hands full playing Ole Miss but Ole Miss at the same time gonna have their hands full playing Tulane as well but to me yes it does kind of snap you back into where you have to go and how much further you want to to become as a program but a great job of getting home and finding a way to become better in week number two of action
4: yeah and if it's going to happen i'd rather it happen in game one rather than game 10 for sure um but i I am really interested in in how we play against southeastern louisiana that's a it's a good team though an SCS team of course uh it, it should be one that we make a statement in um but you know, now I, I think maybe that focus gets sharpened a little bit more because uh, you know, two of the words that uh Coach Warmick used today were angry and embarrassed. Um that you know, yes, there were some positives coming out of that game, but there were, uh, again, you know, let's talk about those six critical plays. Uh, you, you, you try to jump her out. It gets, gets behind you. You're trying to make a block guy gets past you. And, and there's a sack, you you know, throw off your back foot, um, one time in a, and a ball sails. Uh, it's just, when you're playing a top 25 team, like Tulane, you can't have those six critical plays. Uh, we did. Uh, so yeah, let's, so let's see what we can do, uh, in terms of learning from what happened last Saturday put it into action this Saturday Um, and let's go get a convincing statement win against Southeastern Louisiana and build some confidence before we head to uh, Stillwater the next week against Oklahoma State.
2: You know, one positive I guess you can take away on the defense is even though the secondary looked like Swiss cheese for Michael Pratt, the running (laughs) game was not really able to get any big chunk yardage. So that's a positive.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think the run defense was good. Um, And, you know, Tulane for the last two years has been predominantly a running team. But they were a predominantly running team because they had that guy, Tajay Spears, who is a pretty darn good running back uh, and is doing well in the NFL. Uh, So I think we saw the evolution of that Tulane offense that while they have some running backs – uh, they they can play, they're going to be more of a passing team this year because that's where the strength lies. I mean, they've got uh, a lot of speed at wide receiver. They've got a great offensive line, a quarterback that will sit back there and, and pick you apart. Uh, so, yeah, while we did do a great job of running the football, uh, if I'm giving trade secrets to Ole Miss, I'm going to say, um, yeah, don't put seven or eight in the box. Uh, <laughs> let them beat you or make them beat you running the football as opposed to passing the ball um, because I think that's going to be Tulane's MO moving forward.
2: Do you think that that kind of caught uh, South Alabama and the staff by surprise by how pass-heavy they went? Well, we say pass-heavy, but he really only attempted 15 passes. He just barely missed on them. But but do you think that's maybe where that success came from, just being kind of surprised by that change of philosophy?
4: Well, I think – I mean – I don't think they were surprised by that. I think they were, you know, we've got some really good defensive backs back there, and, and I think they were surprised, uh, the coaching staff, uh, surprised just by the mistakes they made. Uh, and, again, those were aggressive mistakes. They were, I'm trying to make a play mistake, um, which is is good if you're going to make a mistake. I'd rather have that than a I wasn't doing anything mistake. But um, it shows you, you know, we, we saw this last year. If you studied a lot on Tulane, um last year they averaged i want to say 35ish points a game um but didn't run a whole lot of offensive plays that is one of the most if not the most efficient football teams I've ever seen offensively. Um, and you're right, 15 passes and, um, and he did what he did to our secondary. Um, so no, I think we made the adjustment of, Hey, we've got to be more pass heavy defensively against these guys. It's just that, uh, a guy that we weren't counting on making a mistake made a mistake. Um, and Pratt with that offensive line has the time to make you pay for those mistakes and with those receivers as well. And they just, they just picked us apart. Um, so credit to them. I mean, that's a good football team, and I'm interested to see how they do against two, uh, against uh, Ole Miss. I think that's going to be good. But for us, I think it's, all right, take those lessons. Let's apply them quickly. Uh, we still have everything we need in front of us. Uh, obviously, haven't played a conference game yet. We've got a couple of weeks before we do that. Um, but let's not make those mistakes this week, and let's shore everything up because we've got the talent, we've got the experience, uh, but, but we've got to put it together, and we certainly didn't do that Saturday
1: talking about putting it together I I didn't see Keith Gallman's name in the box score defensively and I was wondering I didn't get a chance to hear coach Womack's press conference today about the health of one Yam Banks who I did see limping off of the field
4: yeah, but no, and Keith was in there. He played the whole time, uh, so Keith is good. Uh, Yam did go down with an injury. Uh, they're monitoring him, but uh, Coach Womack said today that he feels fairly certain that Yam's going to be able to play this Saturday, so that, that is good news um, because, you know, you, you talk about one of the better defensive backs in the conference, uh, and that is Yam Banks, so uh, he fully expects him to be healthy come Saturday, so that is that is good news. Uh, health-wise, defensively, I think we're looking okay.
1: Third down efficiency was not too bad for South Alabama either eight out of 13 when you look at converting and keeping those drives alive that's something that I know is important but I know the old line has probably been challenged once again this week against southeastern Louisiana to show up to the to the plate and, and to really to keep Carter clean and to open up some holes from those great running backs that I know we have
4: yeah, and I think too that uh, uh you know Tulane wasn't giving us a deep shot. Uh and I don't know if Southeastern's gonna do that either. We didn't have a whole lot of shots down the field, uh, because that's what they were giving us. But but I think offensively again we did we did fairly well, uh, but it's just, you know, in critical plays uh you, you you get a penalty uh, or in a critical play you you misfire on a pass or maybe there's a wrong route, whatever it may be um so it's just you know it's those first game jitters that if you're playing somebody that uh that you're you have outmatched, then you know you can get away with it and still clean it up yeah we we were playing a a top twenty five team and you're not going to get away with that um so i think uh I think offensively we don't change a whole lot defensively i think the change that you saw as the game progressed was what we were doing on first down we were putting them in uh, a tougher position in first down making it second and longer third and longer uh, and obviously that opens up the defensive playbook when you're able to do that um they did a great job Tulane did uh early on getting uh those second down and four situations uh the third and one situations where um where their playbook, they can go one way or the other. We started to pigeonhole them a little bit toward the end of the ball game, uh, and and that helped us some. But um, you know, again, I think it's there's no panic uh, at all. I think it's mistakes for sure. Uh, I think everybody can can admit to that that there was a lot of things that need to change, but none of them are those type of season ending. Problems. I mean, I think they are pretty easy mistakes. Hey, you know, you, your eyes were here. They should have been here. We've practiced that over and over, and, you know, let's do it in a game. It's those type of things that we can correct relatively quickly, but we got to put that into motion on Saturday.
1: I think the South Alabama Jaguars will do that. Coaches speak is the greatest improvement is from week one to week two, and, getting the chance to see the mistakes on film and going live against someone other than yourself, that's the greatest time to make those improvements from week one to week two. Southeastern Louisiana comes into Hancock-Whitney Stadium, 4 o'clock p.m. this coming Saturday. Again, the opening debut of this home debut for this 2023 South Alabama Jaguar program. Pat, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule to join us here on the final drive. And I know the Jaguars, again, are going to bounce back, and they're going to make everybody say, look, we're looking forward to our next home game against Central Michigan. It's one game at a time, but, again, the corrections will be made and addressed. And Kane Womack, like you mentioned, they're going to be just fine.
4: Yeah, and again, you know, that's, that's the beauty of game number two is you can put game number one in the rearview mirror. <laughs> so uh, so we're looking forward to, to the challenge against Southeastern Louisiana Let's see what we can do, and then uh, Oklahoma State, then Central Michigan, and then we get into conference play. So a lot to look uh, ahead for for this team because uh, they've got the potential to be really exciting.
1: The Jag Nation TV content, people that want to see all the highlights, the breaking down of not only just South Alabama football, but University of South Alabama Jaguar Athletics in general. How can everyone do that?
4: Well, uh, so all the edited content is on JagNationTV.com, which is a free site. Go on. In fact, the, the, like, if you want to go look at the news conference today, the entire news conference is posted up there, JagNationTV.com. And, and don't forget that our live broadcast, be it football or basketball, baseball, softball, soccer, volleyball, uh, check out ESPN+. Plus. It's less than $10 a month. And, um, you, you know, for example, Saturday's game. Uh, at 4 o'clock, if you can't make the Hancock Whitney Stadium, that's going to be on ESPN, Plus, and we'd love for you to check it out there.
1: Pat, thank you so much. Look forward to seeing you this Saturday at Hancock Whitney Stadium. Sounds great. Thanks, guys. Pat Greenwood joining us this afternoon to give us a recap and a little bit of a preview into the South Alabama Jaguars as they are going to bounce back, not looking to bounce back. They're going to bounce back this Saturday against Southeastern Louisiana, a Southland Conference foe. And, again, Kane Womack, now that the gloves are off, you're having a chance to go bare-knuckle style and show what you're working with here during this 2023 season coming off that 10 win season from a year ago we'll put the finishing touches here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5 next
0: hey this is coach tommy coverville and you're listening to 105.5 wnsp
1: Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. It's a Labor Day edition. And again, tonight, don't forget to tune in. Clemson versus Duke will wrap up the college football weekend. And it's been a great one so far. And shockers, Colorado upsets TCU in primetime's debut on the FBS level. At a power five, of course, we know the success that he had at Jackson State. And now he's having even more success with Colorado in that program. And also mentioned Texas State stunning Baylor. That was a big time win. 31 unanswered points for the Florida State Seminoles as they thumped the Tigers 45 to 24.
2: That's all right. They're still looking good, man. They can still make it to the SEC championship, losing that one game. That was a good a good punch in the mouth to get back up and go another 12 rounds. They're good.
1: Keon Coleman, the Louisiana native, nine receptions, 122 yards, and three touchdowns, transferring from Michigan State, making an immediate impact for Mike Norvell. Alabama dominant performance against MTSU, 56-7. Jalen Milro, SEC Offensive Player of the Week, in his debut as Alabama's quarterback all spring, all summer long. We wanted to know who was going to be QB1. And I've said it, Jalen Milrow, based on what I saw one year ago, deserved to be Alabama's starting quarterback. 13 out of 18, 194 yards, three touchdowns. We'll continue to preview Alabama's matchup with the Texas Longhorns, one game that has been circled On the Longhorn schedule, Steve Sarkeesian speaking at halftime last night of the Florida State LSU game and the respect that he has for this Alabama Crimson Tide program. And Texas knows what they have in front of them, but they have a wide receiver that I'm just so impressed with worthy. Worthy is that guy who really gave Alabama fits a year ago, and I think that he's going to be a tough matchup to where the keys have to be read correctly by the secondary. They can't afford any bust. Or Ewers will have the inside track to starting off his Heisman campaign the way he wants to against a very, very ferocious and defense by Alabama that's supposed to be pretty good in the secondary.
2: Look, I said earlier in the show, I watched both of these teams play on Saturday, and, you know, objectively, Alabama looked better. But I'm still rocking with my longhorns, and I'm thinking Sarkeesian can come up with something this week. Now we've seen the tape on Milrow. Maybe you, you learn how to contain that a little better. You force him to throw it. You don't let him get comfortable with his legs where he feels like he can do you know two types of things to kill you so we'll see man we'll see what Texas can drum up and you know we also talked about the Pac-12 the conference that will no longer be a thing uh, here in the near future undefeated 13-0 and to start the season the Pac-12 is and you know that's the best start any conference has had in over 90 years and you know you, we were talking during the break. How long can they keep it up? I got the Pac-12 schedule can't right here. Can't beat themselves. Nick,
1: they can't beat themselves. So you don't have to worry about that. Well, Utah and Baylor.
2: Yeah. So here we'll go through it. So ne- Nebraska, Colorado. That's going to be Dion, right? I think they're going to win. I do. Utah, Baylor, U- that's Utah. Washington, Tulsa, that's Washington. Oregon, Texas Tech, that's Oregon. Arizona, Mississippi State. Mississippi State. That that game is one that's in Starkville, so I, I like Mississippi State. Yeah, the streak, so the streak will end there. The streak yeah. will end next week. Uh, you got UCLA, San Diego State. Then you got Wisconsin, Washington State, 19-ranked Wisconsin They're probably going to beat Washington State there. Oregon State over UC Davis. Auburn and Cal. Auburn is a touchdown favorite over Cal. That's probably going to be a win. Oklahoma State, Arizona State. And then, actually, even if every Pac-12 team won, it'd be impossible for them to go in because they would beat themselves Stanford versus USC.
1: Well, I know tomorrow... On the final drive, Michael Casagrande from AL.com covering the Crimson Tide will join us. Chris Gordy is locked on the SEC. And Tim Brando, you don't want to miss Tim Brando's takes. He always has some hot takes also and already has put some out there prior to the college football season even beginning. So we'll ask him about his thoughts on Deion Sanders and the Colorado Buffaloes. Are they for real? or pretenders or contenders this season 2023 right
2: after us you can hear riley leonard fair hopes riley leonard facing the clemson tigers it's coming on right after us who did not change that channel guys this is the final drive we'll be back tomorrow with a great show for you